Welcome to Functional Design Enclosure. I am Nate Jones. And I'm Christoph Newman. We're here to help you use closure and functional programming to make your everyday life as a developer less frustrating and much, much, much more fulfilling. <laughs> That's true. And part of that is through the closure programming language's use of composition. That's been our topic for the last number of episodes. And so for this episode, we thought we would take it and put it all together. Yes. One final composition. This is the final one, the final final, the final two, you know, the last draft. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We're going to just compose it so good, it's just going to be glued. <laughs> yes. And so in, in this, we've explored the topic in a few different ways. And so um, we've done this before where we have taken a series and reflected back on it. And much to our own surprise... We've been able to talk about composition for a while, but maybe we shouldn't <laughs> be surprised since functional programming is built on composition. You, you have functions that call other functions. That's, that's one way to compose, right? I mean, maybe we can argue over the definition. Is it composing if a function uh, calls a bunch of other functions or is it only composing if you take the ends of one and send it to the the out of one and send it to the end of the other, you know, something that you can use a comp uh, higher right. order <laughs> function on. The actual but, comp function, yes. Yeah, you're, you're using functions. You're, you're putting together larger behaviors from smaller behaviors, which are represented as functions. And, and so the biggest, for me, there's some standout points in the series. Um, and so, Nate, I know you and I are going to take some turns highlighting the standout points. <laughs> but one one of the big standout points is in functional programming, data and behavior are composed separately. And data is pretty easy to compose because you you just mix it together, really. Right? You can add fields, like closure makes it easy to add more keys in a map. Makes it easy to have submaps, right? Yeah. The way absolutely. you mix data together is pretty straightforward and simple and very tangible. And then functions are behavior, and so you're mixing behavior. It gets you out of this business we talked about in um, prior episode, the kingdom of the nouns, you know, of mixing this behavior and the data together, and where, where, where do I attach the behavior to what noun, mm -hmm. which is the keeper of what data. It's, it's really uh, conflating two different concerns, right? Complecting yeah, them. and you, and you, and you really want to when you are composing, when you are pulling things together, you want them to be, uh, you want them to be smaller parts, like th things that things that fit together in multiple different ways. And objects in object-oriented programming tend to have at least a little bit of behavior and at least and a little bit of data together already. So you can't you can't separate them. And so if you want to make a new thing, you can't. You have to you have to use those larger parts. They end up being more or harder to compose. Right, right. And as you try to just have it be one thing, you have an object that's just data hmm. or an object that's just methods. Well, hey, all of a sudden you end up with something that looks a lot more like functional programming, right? Because <laughs> you have just data or you have a, a namespace. An object that's just static methods is basically like a namespace. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's very tempting in object oriented programming to have a lot of behavior tied together with a lot of data 
and and you end up with the uh the the house zucchini bread problem we we talked about a few episodes episodes ago where you know it's it's just so so easy to reach out for those those members and so if you have to have discipline to make things look like functional programming well then why aren't you using functional programming language like that's the that's the big question i have for you dear reader right especially immutability right following references can get you to data but it can't get you to behavior because what would that behavior do it can't change anything yeah right so best case it has to take all its arguments as parameters. So then it just gets you to a function you might as well just put in a namespace. <laughs> it's one of those things that constraints breed freedom and breed understand uh, uh, clarity. Because if you can't reach other functionality through data, then there's no way that data will ever hurt you. You can always, will never give up, never give you up, never let you down. <laughs> yeah, you're saying uh, in a prior episode, Joe, Joe Armstrong was saying you uh, grabbed a banana and uh, the whole gorilla came with it. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, of course, my one of my favorite parts this this series has been uh, has been the the metaphor we came up with in the first episode. I think that it really uh, helped frame the whole series as far as uh, giving us something to talk about. Um, and and I and in the end, I think. Metaphors are really a useful tool for talking about concepts in software because if you're talking about the code too much, you can end up at the point where you really don't know what you're talking about. But kind of everyone, hopefully everyone knows what making a cake looks like. You at least watch someone do it. (laughs) Right. That metaphor, specifically the metaphor of baking and ingredients and Mm -hmm. making a cake and a box mix the idea of pre-composed ingredients yeah, for sure. And I like that metaphor because it, you can relate to it being a process of mm-hmm. discovery over time. As you cook or bake more, you begin to understand those ingredients better. Sometimes you realize things need to be separate ingredients instead of mixed together. And, and it takes a while to discover, like in software, it takes a while, like, like you have to use it, Mm. you have to use it. So it takes a while to discover what is worth separating and what's fine to leave in larger chunks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then, and then you, you can see where if you're heading for towards one kind of cake and you go, Oh, if I just change these two things, it'll be this more, this, this, it'll change the, the, you know, the taste this way or the taste that way. You know, the more experience you get, the more the better you are at composing, and the tastier your cakes are. You know, <laughs> and as back to your point on metaphors, I love metaphors because it helps you be free of the mental baggage that you probably don't realize you have in mm-hmm. the in the domain. So by moving it into a separate domain, you're able to see the of the essentials, the fundamentals more clearly because you're not stuck in those ruts of thinking that you're that you do without thinking you do without realizing i should say and and i and i think it also helps move it from you're not talking about code anymore and it's easy to wrap up your ego or something about the code that makes it hard to talk about it but if you're talking about baking a cake 
you know, at the end, if you use a box mix or you use small ingredients or more granular ingredients, as the case may be, you end up with a cake at the end. You still end up with something that is is good. And so, I think it's important to talk about composability as a big as a larger topic, and not in terms of moral. Like, if it's composable code, therefore it must be good. You know, if it's not composable, then it's bad. There's, it's the metaphor helps pull us out of that and into a realm where we can actually understand the concept. And then when we go back to code, we can understand that, oh, this code might be harder to work with, but it's still good code. I mean, good code in my mind is something that gets something done, you know, get accomplishes a task. And I've worked with plenty of non-composable code or, you know, less composable, more box mix. And in the end, uh, my salary was still paid as if I was <laughs> at the same amount as if I was paid working with a very composable code, you know? So, I mean, I think we, we want it to be more composable, but it's not a moral judgment is my point. Yeah. I, and that's where the metaphor with cooking and baking, I think is helpful again is gourmet food, mm-hmm. um, morally better to eat than, um, lowbrow, you know, pedestrian <laughs> gr- street food. <laughs> Right. I would say no. Right. They serve very Mm -hmm. different purposes and they have different trade offs and different benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, But in both cases, you are fed. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And sometimes the the substance of the food is extremely important. The ingredients that are used is extremely important. Maybe, you know, food Mm -hmm. allergy or um, health issues, things like that. Other times it's not. It's just not important. And, um, other, other factors are important, like getting it out the door. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I just need to grab a quick bite. My wife, my wife teases me all the time because I've been known to eat the same thing for breakfast every day for weeks on end. And for me, it's just, well, you know, I, uh, I was hungry <laughs> and I didn't need variety and it gave me what I needed out of breakfast. So what's the problem? <laughs> it must be good. You were fed. Right. Uh, well, and so then I think another theme that emerged in the episode, one of the episodes, we end up talking about how closure core steers you in the direction towards mm. composition. So mm-hmm. I, w- I would, al- I would amplify that point just a little bit more and say it's closure core plus immutability because there's been lists, you know, common lisp is the obvious example and without <laughs> immutability, you can still fall into finding your behavior through a chain of references. And then that mm-hmm. thing that Absolutely. you, you know, dot this, dot that, dot the other, whatever, and you end up, behavior well it it has to have some kind of reference that it can uh, get data from or mutate etc okay so closure core plus immutability really steers you in this direction of composition and and so we ended up talking about a lot of different kinds of functions Mm -hmm. patterns and because it's functional (laughs) programming when we talk about patterns we're often talking about Kinds of functions, you know? Um, Families. Yes, yes. So, some ones that came up, I don't think we've ever really put these all in one place. So, I thought, hey, mm-hmm. let's put them in one place. Is we have predicates, which are functions mm-hmm. that give you truth values. 
And often they have a question mark in their name because Clojure lets you do that, which is cool. <laughs> then you have reducers, and they generally take two arguments. They take a current state of some kind and some other bit of input and update that current state and return it. And so you can use those for summarizing. You can use those for maintaining state, like over a sequence of events. They're extraordinarily useful. You can go back to our first series, Tic-Tac-Toe series. Talk about reducers even then. Yeah, especially important on that. When, you, when you're going through a list and you want to keep some memory as long as you're going, reducers is usually the tool I work, I, I reach for. Yeah, they are the go-to way to handle state with immutability. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, well, reducers are for aggregating. Well, if you want to aggregate, you have to have the current status of the computation, <laughs> aka the current state, <laughs> what right? Is, what, is, what is the result along the way? State, hello, yes. Right, right. And so I tended to think when I first started, oh, reducers are for aggregates, but Actually, they're better than that. They're more generally useful for managing state. Mm -hmm. And so they're wonderful. Absolutely. Then we talked about transforms. But that's a little unfair of a category because that's almost all of functional programming. You could even think of a predicate (laughs) as a transform. Yes. It transforms it from, from a value into a Boolean. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So there, there's a lot of patterns of transforms that have come up for us. So a conversion, where you take one kind of thing and you turn it into another kind of thing. And okay. a, a really ridiculous choice, well, simple, absurdly simple choice, like parsent <laughs> is taking a string and giving you an integer, right? Now, parsent right. can have some side effects. So then you got to decide, well, you know, what do you want to do with that, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, parsent. Or there's extraction, or we sometimes call them extractors. And, and you take a data uh, data item you know, that has a shape, and you return part of it. The simplest extractor is a symbol out of a map. You know? So you, you hand it a key name, and it gives you the value. Mm-hmm. Really, really simple, right? So I, I love yeah. enclosure. The sim- a symbol is a function that knows how to extract itself out of a map passed as a parameter. (laughs) Like it goes both ways. It's cool. And then you have merge where you take multiple things and you squish them together. And that's like rolling your burrito. You know, that's, that's cake baking in a way, right? Where you're merging (laughs) things together. Data cake. Yes. Yeah. Mm, Delicious. And it could be disparate things you're mixing together, a bunch of Mm -hmm. ingredients, or it can be a bunch of the same kind of thing. And you're just like the merge function itself, you know? And But then there's like a specific pattern, which we have used a lot, which I would call like a decorator or an enricher, where it takes data in, a data shape in, and it basically leaves that data shape alone and adds more into it, right? So you're amplifying the, the information that you started with. So you're expanding it out. And so... Nate, like you and I, mm-hmm. as you recall, have used that when we have to process data in pipelines. And so you start with a little bit of data in one part of the pipeline, and then that data flows down another part of the pipeline, starts looking some other things up in its systems, et cetera, and adds more data in, and then it flows down, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, so those, anyway, those are the common those are the common ones I could think of uh, after spending a little bit of time. I'm sure there's some more. 
those 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 amplifiers I think are really useful when it comes to um, taking a data shape and making it something that is more useful to the question that you're you're trying to answer. Usually, you have some source data that's not quite in the right form, and so if you transform it and then use extractors and predicates, uh, I mean, none of these stand alone. These all are used together, but usually it's am- amplifiers, then extractors, then predicates, or you know. And that will give right. you the data that you, or or sometimes predicates than extractors, um, and then I think I think one function that comes to mind is uh, something that does a uh, side effect like an actor. Uh, I don't know if that's the right name for it, but um, so usually oh. those are used in like the run run bang uh, function. It's like we're okay. Finally, finally, I'm I'm to the point where I want to do something with this data that affects the world around me besides you know heat, uh, and and then it's the actual you know. It's it's the duet function, so to speak. I think those right, are some kind often. of mutation and the actual mm-hmm. honestly in this mutation or mutator With type. The bang function. on the end. Like yeah, the other ones the have bang. question marks, this one has got bangs usually. Got right, bangs. Right. <laughs> it goes back to like side effects ruin composition because side effects are a second dimension that is difficult to compose. And mm. and exceptions are sort of a halfway example of that the language gives you me a, a means of actually composing that dimension of a side effect, but there's other side effects that the language doesn't help you compose at all. Right. And so, so that idea of have your function do one purpose. So you can tinker toy them together. You can Lego brick them together, you know, and these mm-hmm. different kinds. And so f- to make it more concrete, you might have a few different data sources, which Nate, I know you and I like to call ingredients, right? A few different data sources, which you may then run through a, a merger, right? A function that merges those into kind of a big fat data tree with a lot of stuff. And then you might have a sequence of those after you merge mm-hmm. it, which you're then going to use a predicate. And that predicate's going to know how to look for keys, um, maybe across these, you might that right. predicate might even be like a composite predicate that's calling uh, predicates in each of those information domains plus its own logic, putting it all together, right? Predicate for mm-hmm. filtering those, and then you might want to then take that and do some summarization with a reducer, and then that summarization might have interesting bits that you need to send in different places, so you have extractors. <laughs> uh, on that summarization that pull each of those bits out, you know, and then send it down. And then you might actually do a little bit of enrichment on some of those bits before you send it to where it needs to go. Right. right. And so, so all these parts, they can be used in the small, like per data model, but then they can be used across data models. Right. And so it's this dance of, uh, of these different kinds of functions coming into play at different stages of the computation. And I think, and I think, yeah, and I think that gets back to your earlier point about really making it so that you write these functions in the way that Clojure expects them. And then you write those functions and instantly this whole world of, of core opens up. And, and the only thing you had to implement was your, your, the code that was relevant to your domain so one of the things I like to say about closure is like there's almost nothing to it. It's mostly most of my time writing in closure is thinking about my problem, not thinking about how I'm going to express it or how I'm going to 
uh, model the object graph or any of that stuff. Like I don't have to think about any of that side of thing. I'm just left thinking about my own problem. Yes, the language gets out of the way. The fact that everything is immutable for the most part categorically eliminates all kinds of bad ideas um, and gets them out of the way. And so you're just mostly left with thinking about, well, what is the data that's at the heart of this problem? And then once I have a sense of that data, then I have a sense of what these predicates and transforms, you know, conversions and extractions and mergers and, you know, start to look like. And then Core lets you glue that together. Absolutely. Um. So one one more for me. Uh, I really enjoyed talking about application composition. I know we kind of were talking about very very low level. You know, how does this tiny function get split apart into colorizing and printing? And suddenly we have an episode that's like at the you know ten thousand foot view where you're putting a whole application together. But uh, I think that you can apply a lot of the same principles that you apply to composition in the small to the large, and a lot of the ideas that we came out in that episode, a lot of things we talked about have been things that we've been batting around, have been in my, in my head and, and things that I've thought about. And actually lots of people in our community, uh, the people that listen have, have been like, well, how do you structure an application? How do you put it all together? And so I feel like that episode really was a good, like, here's where you would start. Here's where our, th- our thoughts are, you know, on, on, on how you put applications together as a whole. Right. There's the key in all composition is a clear delineation and separation of responsibilities Mm -hmm. and being able to create these separate data models, bring them together. Applications you and I have made, Nate have involved like core async pipelines where we have different stages that worry about different aspects of integration and things like that. But giving each of those stages a clear purpose and data model and I think, yeah, it also really reinforced, I think, again, what we have been talking about more recently is that constraints, like, for instance, having all of your components in one file, in one map, and passing your components to the functions, you know, how that shortens your call stacks, how, how the, the, the point, or not the point, but a, a great benefit of, the, of constraining yourself um, is that you get freedom for thing being able to either express yourself or to be able to come back to code and be able to understand it again. So I think that's a big, and we talked about it a little bit throughout the series, but like uh, the reason why we want things to be more composable is because they're more flexible, but also because they're smaller, you can understand them at a glance. You say, Oh, there's a function print. I know what print does. I don't have to think about, the implementation, I can just think about it at that level. And so the amount of memory in my head that that takes up is very small. But if it's a, if it's an object, uh, especially like a core domain model object or whatever in OO, it's like, well, I know what this function does, but I don't know if I call that function, what it's going to touch. It's going to touch the database. Is it going to, you know, make a TCP connection? Like I don't, so suddenly it takes up more space in your mind and it makes it harder to program because, you have to then dive into everything instead of being able to trust it. Right. With side effects, there's an infinite number of additional (laughs) dimensions that are possible. (laughs) So now all of a sudden 
you can't just worry about what the function says it does. You have to worry about all the other things that it could be doing. You know, it's it's like really advanced politics between hostile countries. There's there's the words that come out of their mouth. And then there's all the stuff that really matters, which no one's talking about. <laughs> so if you like the stress of negotiation between countries who are going to war to be your day-to-day reality with programming, then by all means, please, please use something oh, other man. than closure. <laughs> yes. Closure is for the peaceful. But if you like to keep all that messiness kind of at the edges, so the core of your application can be composed together with beauty and simplicity, uh, making your day wonderful, <laughs> then closure might be for you. Yep. It's it's great. It's grand. I like that. The core of your problem. Yes. Uh, cool. Anything else you have to say or should we wrap up this series? I think we should wrap up this series. I'm sure we'll talk about composition again in the future. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. All right, everyone out there. If you have any questions or anything else you'd like us to know, or if you have any things about composition that you think we missed, uh, please send us an email at feedback at closuredesign.club or a tweet at closuredesign on x.com. Or our best, the best option is hop into the closure design dash podcast channel on, uh, where is that? Oh, the closure in Slack, right. And ask us a question there. We hope you do. Yeah, we've been having great discussion in there and we would love for you to join in if you haven't already. If you would like to get some of the highlight quotes from this episode and other episodes, various quips, summaries of the episode, other show notes, links to related episodes in particular, go ahead and head on the web to closuredesign.club. Yep. Enjoy. And uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.